Well, welcome, everybody. You know it's a school holiday when the room is empty. Well, I'm glad that you guys are here. You can spread out. I'm just kidding, but not really. That's why we usually take off these kinds of Sundays. But I'm excited for Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. And um, I've said this from the stage before, but the Grippas, we have a family motto when it comes to sort of these holidays and, and eating. You don't eat until you're full. You eat until you hate yourself, all right? So there, you can use that. Um, you never leave the table until you're just questioning your own salvation as a human and just disgust it in the mirror. And then afterwards, you go, you know, I could use a little something sweet. <laughs> and then you just, on top of you, you go even more. All right, so you're with us. Um, anyway, welcome. We are in week four of this five-week series, which we are wrapping up next week. We do have church, like she said, called False Memory. And if it's your first time, let me explain to you what we've been doing, what we've been talking about. So false memory is a scientific term. It's a psychological phenomenon whereby humans remember things that didn't actually happen. And we've all fallen victim to this. You're, you're telling a story. Somebody stops you and goes, that didn't, that didn't happen like that. And yet you vividly remember these things happening. False memory um, plays a part a lot of times in court proceedings. It leads to false accusations. It leads to unreliable witness testimony. But one area that we've been focusing in on where false memory sort of rears its head is in the realm of Scripture, how we remember it, how we relate to it, how we begin to build theology based off of what we can remember. Now, depending how long you've been a Christian, um, you might have started to memorize particular parts of scripture. If you grew up a Christian, you went into Sunday school, your teachers would often help you run sword drills to memorize scripture. John 3, 16, that's a big one. We all know that one. A lot of us do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That one, okay. Outside, they're repeating it, that's good. But outside of that, our memory gets a little cloudy. We try to, you know, we try to piece together and we grab for these sort of verses that we think we know, we think we heard, and we, we cobble together a theology, and that's when things get a little dangerous. So what we've been doing over the course of this series is we're taking a look at verses and phrases and concepts and ideas that we remember reading in the Bible, right? These ideas that we remember someone saying, yeah, the Bible says, don't you know, or we vividly remember some pastor preaching a message on, but when you open up the scriptures and you go to look for it, this is just not there. Or at least what you thought was there is not there the way that you thought it was. So today... We are talking about, I'll call it a topic. Uh, it might be a verse for you. It might be a concept for you. It might be a mindset for you. But this is something that I believe that probably a lot of you quote. This is something that I believe if you don't quote it yourself, you've had it quoted to you. And this is an idea that I think a lot of us lean on. This phrase, of course, is God will never give you more than you can handle. By a show of hands. Who's ever heard this before? Just put your hands up if you've heard it. Pretty much everybody. If you've been a Christian for longer than about a month, someone's probably said this to you or said it in your, in your presence. And the way that this works, generally speaking, is you have a friend, and your friend is going through some kind of suffering, loss of a job, going through a divorce, just, and you want to be there for your friend. You want to encourage your friend. You want to lift them up and bring them peace. And so we as Christians kind of reach into the old Christian bag of tricks, and we pull out a couple of these verses that we love to just dole out during these circumstances. One that we love to use, Romans 8.28. You know, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And that is true, and that is powerful, and that is amazing. But when you're in the midst of a storm, when you're in the midst of a trial, 
Sometimes Romans 8.28 actually stings a little bit more than it suits. So we kind of try a different tactic and we go, hey, listen, I know you're going through a lot, but you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. He'll never give you more than you can handle. But again, that one doesn't sit well either because you're currently not handling what God has given you. So I'm here to let you know that this phrase is false. This is not in the Bible. This is a big N-O. You, you can search cover to cover. You can go to the table of contents all the way to the maps in the back, all right, the append or whatever. Just find a piece of that thin paper. It's not going to be on there. You could trust me. We talked about it earlier. I got a guy here. He's convinced that he saw it. I go, that's false memory. You did not. It's just not in there. In fact, I would be as bold as to say is the message of the Bible is that life is going to be more than you can handle. There's another issue that we miss when we tell people that God will never give you more than you can handle. And what we're actually telling people is that God is sending these bad things into your life. That's necessarily what this means. If God will never give you more than you can handle, then he's sending you what he thinks you can handle, which means that God is up there with Jesus, and every morning they're like, well, you know, today we're going to give this person cancer. Tomorrow, let's get that guy with a tornado. This guy, he's got the day off, but we'll nail him on Wednesday, all right? This, this, is, this is what we're saying. This is really what's, what's going on here. But this is not what the Bible says. What we go through when we have these trials and tribulations unless their ramifications for our own behaviors are just symptomatic of a fallen world. It was, God, it was never his plan for us to go through these storms in life and these diseases and, the, and these sicknesses. This was not what his plan was. That's why he sent Jesus to redeem this world from these things. But where did this idea come from? Because it came from somewhere. So where did it start? Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, one day was writing a letter to a church in Corinth, and he said something very interesting. He said, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. And here comes the verse in question. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Look at all the colors we have here today, all right? He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So as I say here frequently, you guys are very smart people. That's why you come to this church. Just a, just a plain reading of this text. It's very clear. Paul is talking about temptation. He's not talking about trials. He's talking about temptation. He's not talking about tribulations and issues and hardships. And what he is saying is that God is never going to put you in a place in your life where the temptations are going to be so much that you can't endure it. There will always be a way out. And I don't want to go too far off the track on this, but it's we should just land on this for a minute so we understand exactly what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying that when you're a Christian, when you give your life over to Jesus, you are then equipped with a spiritual safety mechanism, let's call it. There's a couple of fail-safes. Number one, when you say yes to Jesus, you are actually given self-control. And I think a lot of us don't want to hear that because when the cookies and the cake comes out, we go, I have no self-control. Well, you do. I mean, but in all areas of life, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. That when you say yes to Jesus, you've been endowed with a particular fruit, this self-control, where you can say no to things, particularly sin. Now, on top of that, God has indwelled each and every single believer with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is equal to God 
is equal to Jesus. It's the third part of the Trinity, and it lives inside every single believer to lead us and guide us. And when you are in the midst of temptation, when you're in the midst of sin, that Holy Spirit will just vibrate red hot, letting you know that you need to flee. Paul is saying, in life, God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. There's always a way out. But at some point in history, false memory reared its ugly head. And this phrase promising us that we'll never have to endure more temptation than we can handle, this phrase was morphed into God will never give you more than you can handle. Did you like that little transition there? This week I, I called Christine. I said, hey, I want to say the word morph and I want it to like change like that. Can you do that? And she says, oh, like a PowerPoint presentation from 1998? Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> great. Thank you very much. It looks great. But this is bad theology. Like, I want to make sure that you understand that this right here, you are looking at right now what qualifies as bad theology. You've heard that term before. This is bad theology. When we say it, we're coming from a good place. We're well-meaning. But just because you're well-meaning, well-meaning doesn't turn bad theology into good theology. Bad theology always, eventually, inevitably has negative consequences for those that practice it. Let me, let me put a little flesh on what we're saying here because sometimes we say things that we don't realize what we're actually saying. So last week, um, our good friends moved. They're building a house. They had to move into a, a new house in the time being. And if you've ever moved, you know it's the worst, right? Is there anything worse than moving? It is just, it's brutal. There's boxes. It's, it's like everybody's sweating. Tensions are running high. And then you got to unpack the boxes, which could take even longer than the, the first move. It's just, it is not a good experience. They have children, young kids. And, and one of the kids, who's two, a little over two and a half now, wanted to help out. Okay. So, Knowing this, they, they looked at him as parents, and they said, well, he's, he's two and a half. He's this tall. He weighs this much. We know he's got about this kind of strength. We know the kind of balance that he has. So knowing this about our son, they handed him a small box, something that he could handle, right? They didn't say to him, hey, glad you want to help. Grab the other side of the couch, okay? Because why? As parents, they don't want to give him more than he can handle, when we say this to each other, what we're saying is that our Heavenly Father is up there in heaven. He knows us as well as He does, which He does. But based on your strengths and your weaknesses and your limitations and all of these things that He knows about you, He has custom-tailored this suffering for you. Which means you should be able to handle it, and yet you can't. You've, you've been told that you should be able to handle this, and yet you find yourself in a place where, where you can't. And we've all been there to varying degrees, and it's confusing, and it's painful, and it just shows us that there are unintended and unhealthy, let's call it, consequences to this seemingly biblical phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. Because we find ourselves in a place where we're, you know, we start thinking, well, maybe... Maybe my faith is weak. I'm a Christian. I said yes to Jesus. I, I believe he died on the cross for, for, my, for my sins, but my life is crumbling around me. And I can't handle it. And I'm overwhelmed, but I've been told that I, that I should be able to handle this as a, as a, as a Christian. So, so it's got to be my fault. And you're tempted to say things like, well, 
maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Other Christians, I mean, everybody's got their cross to bear. You've heard that one. Everybody's got their thing, but, but they seem like they're handling it. And I'm not handling it. So maybe it's me. Maybe it's something that I need to do. Maybe, maybe I'm not, and we started thinking, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not reading the Bible enough. If I'm being honest, I don't ever read it. Maybe I should start reading it. You know what, I'm going to get that app that lets you read, a, uh, you know, the Bible every single day. I- I'm going I'm to do that. And if I read the Bible every day, maybe, maybe a switch will get flipped inside of me, and all of a sudden, I will be able to handle the things that I'm supposed to be able to handle. Or maybe, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it's my church attendance. Maybe I'm overwhelmed because I don't go to church enough. I go when I can. I go when there's something better to do. But you know what? Listen, I'm going to go every Sunday. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to get there every Sunday. And you know what? That little communication card that I'm sitting on, the pencil's there. I'm going to check volunteering. I'm going to start volunteering. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go every Sunday. I'm never going to miss. I'm going to volunteer. And if I can be a better Christian, then I will finally be able to handle the things I'm supposed to be able to handle. Or maybe, maybe it's that I don't pray hard enough. I pray, but maybe not enough. Maybe my prayers are, are, are too simple. I mean, that, that guy John on stage or that girl Christina on stage, when they pray, wow, those prayers, they sound professional. God, they sound like they write them beforehand. No, and God must, that's a lie, we don't. God must listen to those prayers because those prayers really sound, but my prayers are simple. Maybe I just need to pray better. And, and we find ourselves going through all of these permutations. And the end goal is what we find ourselves asking is, what can I do? What can I do to get myself through this situation? And now you've got two problems. You've got the original problem, whatever the loss of a job, the whatever is happening in your life. And to add fuel to the fire, now you've got this second problem, that you can't handle what you should be able to handle. And all you're left with is guilt and shame and doubt, and it is completely overwhelming. And we've all been there. And if you've been there or if you're there right now, you just need to know that you're not alone. Paul, who is the originator of the verse that we've been talking about all day, the the temptations verse, he was writing a second letter to the same church. And he was catching this church up to speed on his travels. And he says something really interesting that you need to read with your own eyes. Take a look at what he says. He says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Then he says this, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to handle it ourselves. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. And you read this and you go, wait, Paul, hold on a second. Don't you know what you wrote? You wrote that God will never give you more than you can handle. What are you talking about? You being crushed and overwhelmed by what, by, by what came your way. That, that, that is incorrect, Paul. You should know the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. And yet, the greatest Christian that ever lived, I would make that argument, is overwhelmed and crushed by what life has handed him. 
And in this moment, he learned something. He says, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely only on God. When we tell other people that God will never give you more than you can handle, when we tell ourselves that God will never give me more than I can handle, what you are telling yourself is that you as an individual need to shoulder the burdens of your life. Paul is saying, that's a trap. That's a trap. I fell into it myself. I came to the conclusion that that is not possible. You need to remove the burdens from your own shoulders and place them squarely on God. Paul teaches that when you find yourself overwhelmed, when you find yourself at the end of your rope, then and sometimes only then do you only truly find God. When you recognize that life will give you more than you can handle, at that moment you learn something. You learn a promise. That God is faithful to meet us in the mess and in the pain. He doesn't expect us to just handle it. He's our Heavenly Father. He doesn't want us to see us struggling and hurt. He wants us to fall into His arms, lean on Him, rest. He's not up there in heaven right now watching somebody in their hospital bed, somebody who's just gotten a, a, a very frightening diagnosis from the doctor, somebody who's in the midst of addiction, in the throes of depression, in an awful divorce. He's not looking down and going, well, you know what? You better suck it up. You better grin and bear it. You can handle this. Instead, he says, I love you. I never wanted this for your life, so let me help you. And all throughout Scripture, we have promise after promise showing us how God wants to show up in our lives if we will just seek him and reach out for him. I just want to show you a couple. Take a look at this. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. He's literally saying, when the world around you is falling apart, when the world around you is crumbling, is, is crumbling down, God will keep you safe. He is your refuge, that safe place. He will give you strength. He says, so let he continues, let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. He's almost like, bring it on. Whatever you got, world, bring it on because God can handle it. And through him, so can I. Here's another great promise. Isaiah 40. He, that's God, gives strength to the weary and increases the power to the weak, even youths. Grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. He continues. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But let's get a reality check here for a second. Because these verses are true, and they're amazing, and they're powerful, and they are promises available to every single child of God. But when you're in the midst of that storm, God can still feel distant. He isn't, but he can feel that way. These verses 
can still sting sometimes more than they soothe when you are in the midst, in the throes of whatever it is that you're going through. That's where we finally come in. Because we need to be willing to walk alongside each other. We need to be willing to, to, to carry someone else's pain. We need to be willing to walk along someone else's path with them when they can't do it alone. We need to be willing to shoulder the burdens of our friends, of our family, of our neighbors. And when you do this, something amazing happens. We become the embodiment of God's promises. We become living proof that when life throws you more than you can handle, and it will, through the love and the strength of God displayed inside of us, within us, and through us, together, we can endure whatever hardship this life throws at us. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So let me start off by saying this because I think it's important to hear a someone in ministry say this out loud from the stage with a microphone. Life is hard. And I think sometimes when we, we believe that when you become a Christian that life's going to get easier, in fact, sometimes life gets even more difficult. And so if you find yourself overwhelmed, if you find yourself depressed, if you find yourself anxious, if you find yourself in a place where you would just say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not in a good place right now. Here's what I want you to know as someone in ministry. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. As a child of God, you were not meant to live in a place of despair. But every single one of us at some level and at some point has found ourselves in that exact situation. But God has provided a way out. He does not want us to live there permanently. And so here's what I want to encourage you if you are there right now. I want to encourage you to, to reach out to family, to friends, to someone here at this church, anybody wearing a, 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 a lanyard, to professional counseling. Just grab someone and just, if you can be bold enough to say, I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle this. It's too much. I've tried I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I need your help. I need prayer. I need something. Find us. We will help you. We'll connect you with who you need to be connected to because you need to take real steps, real steps to improve and guard your mental health as you navigate these issues that we have in life. Secondly, I would challenge you, depending on where you are in your journey, to begin to process the idea that no season of your life is wasted. No, no season. This is biblical. Now, when you're in the midst of a storm, when you're in the midst of that season, this is not necessarily helpful. But when you come out the other side, you need to know that according to Scripture, God can and will use everything that you've gone through for His glory and your good. Now, here's the caveat. Sometimes you see that good. Sometimes you don't. This side of heaven. But Romans 8, 28, with other verses, make us the promise 
that God does work everything together for our good, for those who love the Lord. So if you want to get involved in what God is doing in and through your life, the best way to join him in this endeavor is to let your story help others. The greatest tool as Christians that we have is our testimony, to let others know what God has done in and through our lives. I will tell you this. If you've gone through something and you've come out the other side, you need to strengthen other people. If you've gone through a divorce, if you yourself have gone through addiction or depression or loss of employment, and God has brought you to the other side, you need to find others that are going through that as well. Love them, support them, and strengthen them. And here's the strangest thing. You are going to find these people all along your path that are going through the exact same situations you are. And guess what? That's not a coincidence. That's on purpose. God has placed those people on your path, and God has placed you on their path so that that season of your life, which you never want to relive, you can now help someone else who is currently struggling. The point of today is that it's not about minimizing your situation, but maximizing your perspective. We live in a fallen world. That is a fact. Life is going to be overwhelming. We are going to have to go through things that we wish we didn't have to go through. And we don't ever want to minimize our struggles or minimize the struggles of other people. But we have to keep an eternal perspective. We have to maximize our perspective and understand that even when it doesn't feel like it, God is with you. That even when it doesn't feel like it, God has a plan for your life. And so we need to constantly remind ourselves of that. We need to reach out to him. We need to lean on him. And through him and through other Christians, we can get through whatever life throws at us. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, so many of us have built a theology around this idea that you would never give us more than you can handle, Lord, but, but the scripture is clear. We live in a world that is a mess. And we will necessarily be going through things that we cannot handle. And I know, I know that there are people here today who are in the midst of a storm, who are going through things that they thought they would never have to deal with in life. Loss of employment, loss of a marriage, loss of a loved one, loss of health. There's just so much, Lord, that we have to go through, God, and we were not meant to go through it alone. I pray that today that every single person in this room would feel you in a new and powerful way. Lord, that you would challenge us to lift our eyes up out of our circumstances and gaze on you, Lord, because you have promised to be with us in the midst of every single thing, God, and I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge every single one of us who has come out the other side to be cognizant, to be aware of those around us who are struggling, who are suffering, who we now have the opportunity to help them, be there for them, to love them. 
And by loving them, Lord, we can love you. Thank you for being our refuge. Thank you for being our strength. Thank you for being in control. Even when everything feels out of control. We ask all this in your name. Amen.